And we are live on the First Strike Podcast. This is KYT. Before we start the show, we've got to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Last week was 20% off promos. If you missed that, this week we got a select commander sale to promote the year of commander. Uh, Watsi has made it clear multiple times this is the biggest year of commander with commander legends and other commander products to come out uh, the rest of the year. So we've, we've got up to 50% off select commander singles. So definitely go to facefacegames.com if you want to round out your commander deck. Uh, tonight, John's out because John is already uh, in... He was already... I thought he was going to fly to New Jersey either t- today or tomorrow or Friday. But he's already there enjoying his time. So he's not on the show. And to pre- replace him, we got, according to him, noted MTGO grinder Tangrams with us joining us with, as long as well as Andy and Elliot. Welcome back on the show, Dave. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's a uh, big shoes to fill. You know, John uh, has some pretty big hot takes, but I'll, you know, try to throw in lots of farming and NBC and all those those good words to to do his job. So for first off we got we, we have we have to leave this uh, lead with this funny topic first, which is Andy uh, after me coming up with the topic and, and at Elias urging, urging and John's influence, uh, you're taking a step to sort of brand yourself, make it more uniform, the same handle across the board. So how's that working out for you? Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're now Andy Awkward on, on Magic <laughs> the Gathering Online. We've done it. We're Andy Awkward everywhere. And uh, so I top at the Pioneer Challenge and immediately got like 25 new followers in like the first couple of days of the new handle. So maybe it's working. That doesn't even make sense. I guess. I guess it worked. <laughs> it doesn't well, even I top the challenge. And, and so then anyone who wants to play like the Niv deck would just immediately like look me up on Twitter to see if I'm tweeting about it, right? And I am. So that's sick. So they uh, dropped the follow. That is sick. That is sick. Um. So one thing, one thing I, I messaged you guys about because uh, you know, there's been lots of stuff, more stuff that has been going on in the MTG world that we hadn't had a chance to cover on the show uh, because we've had to cover a bunch of news. And I was messaging you guys like yesterday or the day before about the, the DreamHack stuff. And uh, I just wanted to, to mention it on the show because it's something we didn't talk about because it's something that I might be really interested uh, to go to. I... I saw the news again because Pascal Maynard had a stream for for his Arena Super Cup, which he has rebranded to, to something else. Um, but he was talking about how he might be really interested in going to some of these. And I checked uh, with the prize pool with $100, like the first one, let's say, in Anaheim from February 21st to 23, um, $100,000 total prize pool. And they're capping the event at 350 players. So if you, let's say, assume everyone is average you're going to get i think i I made the calculation was like everyone's money ev is like 285 usd which could cover basically the flight um and and so that was really interesting to me and if you can make it as part of some sort of vacation that's obviously an even bigger plus um so i don't know if any of you guys would be ever interested in uh going to one of these because there's there's one in Atlanta that's a lot closer to this one that Pascal said he's strongly considering. But uh, Elliot, as the man who uh, is able to travel everything SCG, anything related, in a six-hour radius from here, 
or would you go to one of these uh, DreamHack opens? Well, I was pretty close to heading to the DreamHack that was in Boston, and I don't even think there was nearly as large of a Magic the Gathering tournament there, because uh, I think it was like outside Boston, and again, that's like the five, six-hour sweet spot for me, so definitely if I had the opportunity to travel to a tournament this large, it would be amazing. DreamHack as well is like gigantic in the world of esports. It's always um, a huge show with tons of high-level competition for various games, so just getting to visit one would be very cool. And I know that normally they have a stop in Montreal every year. So I don't know if every year or each DreamHack is going to have a tournament this large. Uh, but 100%. If, if there's money to be won and money for me to pay up to enter and lose, <laughs> I'm in. Uh, they, they said there's... Uh, well, the one... I'm looking back at their tweets. They actually created a DreamHack MTGA account. And uh, they mentioned the four tournament stops. Anaheim in February, Dallas in May, Atlanta in November... And Sweden in um, winter in November 27-29. And just looking at the, the prize pool was pretty interesting uh, to have it be... Let, let me just pull it up really quick. I think it was something like 30 or 40K to first place. Or something crazy. So um, I'm actually intrigued by this. Um, I, I don't know if you'd ever go to this, uh, Dave. Uh, no, I don't really <laughs> travel too much for tournaments, but I think it's sick. I'll, you know, Echo Elliot. I watch a ton of like Smash, Melee. I used to watch a lot of League and all those, you know, games have had really strong uh, DreamHack presences to, to kind of see Magic be up there with those games is really awesome. I hope, uh, hope they take off. I hope they kind of entice a lot of the, the really strong, you know, pro players and personalities to come play and we get kind of a, a sweet spectacle to watch. Yeah, I'm curious how many people show up with the 350 uh, player cap and um, I pull it up for first place 30k, second place 15k, 8k for third and fourth, uh, 5 to 8 got 3.75, uh, ninth to 16th, uh, 1400 and 17 to 32 uh, go home with $800 pretty, pretty sweet pretty sweet, I might look into this um yeah, I'm, I'm pretty tempted. I like the arena. It's going to be double elimination, uh, Swiss with double elimination, top 16 playoffs. Pretty sweet. That's nuts, right? Those numbers, like the the old Pro Tours would only pay 40K for first place. So to have like a, a third party event come anywhere close to that, right? We haven't, we've never seen anything like that. So just on the numbers, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I think... Go ahead, Elliot. I think last year people were sort of surprised with how quickly things like fandom legends and twitch rivals jumped in and and offered prize pools to people who were playing magic online when it was still in its infancy and i think it's going to be really sick coming up with dreamhack jumping in whether or not there's going to be more tournament risers putting up just insane amounts of money now that arena's sort of established itself as well that's that's what i'm hoping for uh i think this is the the other thing instead of um to alleviate Watsy coming up with something that replaces gold for for all the Shaheen Suranis of the world to have all these third party uh, companies or, or organizations to be able to come up with these awesome open events that people can uh, go in and crush anybody without having to go through some uh, crazy qualifying path uh, is awesome is awesome. All right, um, let's go straight to. You Tangrams and what you've been grinding with, what you've been having success with in the lab. Um, 
Man, I'm seeing the chat. Everyone's uh, saying your name. So definitely have some brand value behind your MTGO name. Something that Andy Awkward has to work towards. But uh, what have you been crushing with and in what format? Yeah, so mostly I've been playing Modern lately. And the big deck I've been working on is this blue-green Primeval Titan deck. Um, I know you had Zach Allen on a few weeks ago to talk about that deck. He won, obviously, the... um, the team open playing like a, a Sultai version. And that was before all the bans. So Oko did get banned from that deck and was an important part of that deck. But um, at the same time it got banned, they printed this brand new card, Dryad of the Elysian Grove, which is um, a three mana creature that lets you both play an additional land every turn and it has like the prismatic omen text. All your um, lands have every basic land type. So it was this kind of give and take. They banned one card, but printed this other really good card. And it's good in the deck because now you can play Valakit. So your new like nut draw is you play like a, a turn one grazer, a turn two dry to the Elysian Grove, turn three primeval titan. And now all of a sudden you can get two valakits with the with the titan and deal um 12 damage right away and if you have um another land drop you can you can do 18 damage so just like killing people out of nowhere on turn three um and the best part of this is you don't have to put any like crappy mountains in your deck that was always the the biggest problem with the the red green titan shift decks was they just had to play these horrible mana bases to support um support Valakit by getting six mountains in play. So um, you basically, in this deck, you get all the upside of playing um, playing Valakit, but then you also, you just have your cake and eat it too because you get to play all these sweet utility lands. So it's just this really strong, powerful deck. It's really hard to hate out, um, and I've just been crushing with it. So I really think it's going to be kind of one of the very top-tier modern decks moving forward. What, what about the rest of the format? What have other people uh, been playing? What have you been seeing uh, perform well? Yeah, it's really kind of all over the place. People are, you know, going back to their old their old standbys, their, you know, blue-white control, um, mono-red prowess, which was really good before the bands and is probably even better now because the, the format's kind of weaker as a whole. Uh, Death Shadow, just kind of Tron is pretty good. People are trying out like Urza decks without Mox Opal, but still doing kind of Doppler Sword combo stuff. Or there's this like Urza mid-range deck with Blood Moon that's kind of popping up now. So it's really it's really all over the place. You can kind of do whatever you want. I think it's it's what people wanted out of this ban um there's a lot of a lot of good viable decks in a lot of different directions so um i think kind of so far so far so good nothing's looking too scary yet <laughs> uh what, what other formats are, are you working on now yeah i kind of play a little everything just because that's i mostly play on magic online and that's kind of the new the new system they have all these prelims in different formats so been playing a little Pioneer, um, a little Theros Sealed, a little Legacy. I was trying, there's this new 
underworld breach combo and legacy that kind of everyone's been talking about Twitter. So I figured I had to try that for myself. Um, it's really hard. <laughs> just a just a warning, not for the faint of heart, but um, it's a it's a sweet deck and it can can kill you on turn one, which is with like force of will backup, which is just kind of nuts. So <laughs> watch out for that one. Can you go into a bit of the of like the key combo or, or combination of that deck? Yeah, so it's um, it's Underworld Breach, which is the two mana red enchantment that lets you escape cards from your graveyard. So you play that, and then the easiest way to win is with uh, Lion's Eye Diamond and Brain Freeze. So what you're going to do is you can cast Lion's Eye Diamond from your graveyard, make three mana, cast the Brain Freeze from your graveyard. Now your storm counts at you know two or probably three because you had to play the Underworld Breach. So you can mill yourself for nine cards, and that gives you enough cards in your graveyard to cast the Lion's Eye Diamond again, cast the Brain Freeze again. So you kind of keep doing that. You mill yourself a couple times, build your storm count up, and then once your storm count is high enough, you just mill them out with the brain freeze. So you, you only need those those three cards. It's a really kind of clean, tight package. So it's really easy to assemble, especially with all the the legacy cantrips. And you get to play Force of Will, which is like a great you know both offensive and decent defensive card. So. Um, just really, really powerful, really explosive, really promising deck. People are the set isn't even released yet, and people are already like top eighting legacy challenges online with <laughs> it, even though it's like not officially released in paper yet. So, like a month from now, I think the lists are going to be really refined and really, really dangerous. Mm. Sick. Okay, Andy, let's get you in here. Andy, awkward. Uh, tell us more. Go into depth about. Uh what what you've been testing what formats you've been crushing what what challenges you you have your eye on <laughs> uh so i've been playing uh, a lot of pioneer and draft to, to prepare for the upcoming pro tour and the draft kind of helps me prepare for uh, gp new jersey um but with pioneer i finally found the deck i like i think five color niv mizzet is one of the strongest decks and also a deck that i'm comfortable like locking in now and then tuning it based on uh what ends up doing very well at the other pro tours, which makes me feel a little bit better about my choice. So I can stop worrying about it. Cause one of the things that happens to me the most is I get really worried about deck selection <clears throat> and I stress about it a lot, but thankfully uh, I've just been absolutely crushing it with five color Niv in the leagues. And uh, I was lucky enough to uh, be the only X2 to top eight, the pioneer challenge uh, and uh, only losing to blue white, twice and uh the blue red breach deck one or the it's rug breach actually lotus storm one and uh yeah i think the deck's really good a lot of really good players are starting to like work on it and hone it so it's great to see how much the deck has evolved in one week it's kind of nuts and uh the whole format itself is kind of evolving really really fast like two weeks ago mono red uh like big red was just probably the consensus best deck with uh with mono black and also at the same, but now like is mono is big red playable. I'm not sure. I don't think it's very good because it doesn't beat blue white. It's probably not fast enough to beat the combo decks and it uh, absolutely gets crushed by the new Mizza decks. So then a deck that we had that's like maybe the consensus best deck. It was winning every tournament is now no longer like 
viable. And now we have to try to kind of try and figure out how many people are still going to play it anyway at the pro tour because of card availability, people who aren't as in tune to the metagame as, uh, as some of us. So pioneer has been pretty cool so far. I don't think anything's busted. And I think finally, now that we've escaped the only monocolor decks are playable era, that is actually in a pretty good spot where there's quite a few playable decks and a lot of them are vastly different. The only like health problem you could maybe cite is that uh, for as far as mid-range goes, Niv-Mizzet pushes out every other mid-range deck because it can't keep up with it, but I think that's okay. Um, what's, what's your game plan in terms of... Um like deck selection are you just going to like of course we're still at the very early stages so you're you're having fun having success with this deck, having uh not only fun tweaking it but having people uh wanting to seek your advice on how to tweak this deck but as we get closer to the day um do you see yourself like mixing it up playing something else like you know do you have i know you don't have it completely sketched out but uh what do you think your overall approach is going to be uh, my approach is I would consider myself like 99 plus percent to play Nimbusit <laughs> at the Pro Tour. There's almost no way I would switch because I think that the multi- so many multicolor cards are so powerful that you can figure out a way to beat anything. And your main game plan is really strong enough against the, the monocolor decks. And while I don't think they're that good anymore, I still think they're going to be like 20% of the metagame or something like that combined or probably even more. So I think it's just a safe bet where you can play uh, that and you can play like the one main deck ego, which kind of like randomly hoses like the half of the metagame that you're not that great against. So I think what I'm going to do is uh, play a lot of pioneer still. I'm going to work on a lot of drafting. And then uh, we see the pro tour results, not this weekend, but next weekend for uh, Brussels and uh, is it Nagoya? I think it is. And then, so from there, I'm just going to tweak, uh, the flex slots the list and make sure that I'm uh, comfortable against the top performing decks there. Um, Elliot, you, you had mentioned uh, previously that you were loving some other deck and have you put into more work into the format? Uh, I've been trying to sort of diversify our, our resources. Annie and I do play a lot of magic together, like on hangouts and such. So I, I, Get a, I, I'm getting a lot of experience with the Nimbus deck just watching him and talking through plays, and I don't want to spend all of our eggs in one basket, so I've been playing other decks, although I am very much a proponent of the Nimbus deck, don't get me wrong. Um, so, for, like, I mean, in the past week, I guess, in the, since last uh, we recorded, I've played a bit more of the Izzet and Soul deck, as well as some some weird wonky ones, a couple Heliod combo decks, and uh, really, like, the one thing I'm taking away from the format is as much as I believe Nivisit is possibly the best deck and some of the aggro decks like mono red and mono black might be getting pushed out a bit. Really, there are a ton of viable decks. There's probably like 10 close to 15 decks where I, I, I think they're totally defensible choices for if you were going to a Grand Prix. Uh, I think Niv wins a few more of say rock paper scissors matchups than some of the other mid-range decks might but uh you know for example mono green ramp is a deck that kind of punches up on niv um and there's definitely different angles you can attack the format these combo decks are really hard to to beat if you don't have the right disruption for them and 
I'm I like I think this format's like in a really great spot right now. I I think the experiment that we've gone through of banning cards every week has really paid off, and and we're really seeing the fruits of it now. So um, you still intend to grind into players for Phoenix, right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm spending my entire life savings on the play until you <laughs> play until you five zero entries. And and so if it was tomorrow, what were you leaning towards? One hundred percent five color visit. Okay, so you're 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 on board with that too. Yeah, right now my plan, it, like if I had to pack my bag and leave it locked for like two weeks until I left, I would have the is it in soul deck and five color new visit, and most of the time I would play five color new visit. I love it. I also love, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Andy, that Brussels and Nagoya are, are the week before. So, um, and definitely we, well, I know Alex is going, probably have more than just Alex, uh, a few friends that have decided to go to Europe or, or just people we know that live in Europe or closer to Japan. It'd be, it'd be cool to know, uh, like after tournament, not only like what did well, but to pick their brains on what they felt were, uh, the breakout uh, decks of the field so it's going to be a lot of information to assess uh within you know a small wall window of time but it's going to be it's going to be exciting to see uh tangrams what, what do you think do you have you seen these this nivmizid deck in action do you think these guys are out to lunch yeah i've played a little bit with the nivmizid deck um i don't know it's really it's a really polarizing deck i would just like scrolling through twitter today you see like Half the feed is like, oh, this new Mizzet deck is like so great. Like all your cards are so powerful. You got game against everyone. And then the other half was just like, oh, I went like, oh, three drop in a prelim with Niv Mizzet. It like is super clunky. You never have the right colors of mana. You're like playing a bunch of these reactive cards that don't always line up well. So I really, I really don't know what to think. I think it's it's been a long time. Obviously, Andy and Elliot are super high on them. Totally respect their opinion but a lot of other people whose opinions i respect too um like you know jacob nagro was just was just streaming today and he just like could not win a match so um (laughs) i don't know what to think i honestly it's it's for a deck that like so many people consider to be the best deck in the format like to have so many people also say it's unplayable it's just like i i really do not know what conclusion to draw it's kind of it's like a very weird and unique place to be but yeah if you if you listen to andy and elliot i'm sure they'll they'll tell you it's great <laughs> i mean andy who did you get it from were you the first i mean you talked about this no. show before anyone i heard of so so uh so what had happened is uh there's a, a guy on twitter who told me to play it so there's a week where i was like Someone messaged me uh, a deck list, and I'll 100% play it in the prelim because I have no clue what to do in Pioneer. And then uh, they sent me this deck, and they're like, I think it's really good, but like, don't play it because I'm not sure. And it's like sort of this thing where they did very well with the deck, but you look at it, and you're like, this is a pile. This can't be good. And uh, what happened is I kept – when I would play against it, I couldn't come close to winning when they drew Sylvan Karyatid, and then like when Nivmiz resolved, I'm like, I'm dead. That thing's a six, six flyer. I can't do a thing about it. Like, and uh, so I decided to give it a shot and uh, I five out immediately. And then I five out again right after. And then I go to my PT group chat. I'm like, Oh my God, this deck seems insane. And then the other guy 
on the team, he's like, yeah, I, I just five owed my last two leagues with it. And uh, our lists were very different. And then the list kind of evolved from being kind of unrefined with bad mana. And I think a lot of the people who like are like, oh, this deck sucks. Their mana base looks horrific. Or they're still playing cards like Culligan's Command. Where I feel like if you've played the deck at all, you've learned very fast that that card doesn't do anything. And uh, yeah, it's just, it took off. I was like on the ground running. Like I did very well with it right away and tweeted about it a bunch. So a lot of people have been asking me about uh, about the deck list and stuff like that. But I make sure I consumed everyone else's content about it. And uh, so my opinion is like five other people who I respect's opinion molded with my experience. And uh, I think it's just really good. And I wasn't the first one on it, but I think uh, I was on it pretty early. Yeah, yeah. I just you were the first one uh, to me that that mentioned it, so it's kind of sweet to see people on board and people messaging and some people that we know uh, messaging you uh, asking for your opinion. Um, uh, Dave, what what other decks are you playing that uh, possibly include? Like the the first time I met you was because of your mass manipulation deck and then i i got obsessed over a boreal grazer and i can't believe this card is still relevant in multiple formats are you like um yo you mean mox diamond (laughs) (laughs) no um yeah grazer is good it got i will say it got a lot less good because once upon a time is banned in standard and pioneer and that's um I like can't really overstate how much like Once Upon a Time is propping up these Arboreal Grazer decks because the card is so good on turn one and so horrible later, right? So having access to all these, um, to having access to this effect in Once Upon a Time that can get you the card on turn one, but then not actually have to play eight Arboreal Grazers in your deck because that would just be horrible. So, like, <laughs> getting to kind of have the best of both worlds like that is is so important to the card being relevant. And I think that's why you see, um, like, this this modern deck, the Titan deck I'm talking about, plays for a Arboreal Grazer, and a lot of people in their, their amulet decks are actually cutting... Um, Secure a tribe scout for Arboreal Grazer. That's like the the canister innovation. So, in formats where Once Upon a Time is legal, it's great. Um, but in Pioneer, it doesn't really see much play. You're seeing um, you're seeing this mono green ramp deck that plays it. But again, people are people's biggest complaint with the green ramp deck is that it's too inconsistent, which is kind of the the problem now that that deck doesn't have once upon a time you kind of either need to play a ton of these kind of crappy one mana cards and hope you you know only draw a couple of them or you can play not very many of them but then you're going to have a lot of slow hands so um without without the glue of once upon a time to kind of hold everything together you're um you're seeing that card get a lot worse so i'm not sure how big of a player it'll be in pioneer and standard moving forward but i think it's still great in modern sweet it's just a card that like i always have to tag you when it's relevant and it just it's it's it's, it's what connected us <laughs> or my obsession with that card playing your list 
Um, it, it, it was just like, it was too good because a lot of people think it was terrible. It does nothing. But then, like, the reason it was good is it just uh, made these Nissa turns just absolutely bonkers. So, I still have good, for, uh, good memories uh, about that deck. But sticking to you, Dave, like, I know you as mostly as an MTGO player. And I think a few days ago, CFB finally an- announced all the formats of their first half. And the initial reaction, big, uh, and, and I felt that I can relate to CFB because when we released the F2F tour um, series, all the formats of our first half, uh, there was a distinct lack of standard on the calendar. And we, we heard it from some of the standard players that uh, are really passionate about that format. And, and here to CFB, the main complaint was the lack of complete lack of legacy. Uh, and then there are people that have decided to data crunch some of the GP attendances in the recent years and were able to show that Legacy actually has a strong uh, attendance and use that as a counter to the argument that they've decided to go less Legacy because of the numbers uh, in a reply on the Reddit AMA that they had. But uh, does this news affect you? Do you have any opinion as someone that does touch Legacy from time to time, Dave? Um, I don't really own any paper legacy cards, um, just cause I haven't been, you know, playing magic for 20 <laughs> years. So it doesn't really affect me. I think it's, it's really complicated and I definitely sympathize for the legacy community. These, these kind of people who are time and again, showing up at, you know, Atlanta at GP Bologna at GP Niagara Falls, like every time there's a legacy GP, these people this community kind of really, really rallies and shows up in force. And it's clear they're, they're very passionate and very devoted. Um, here in Seattle, we have a really strong legacy scene. They have these, these weeklies at um, Mox Boarding House that they, they stream and they get like 50 people just like on a Monday night, like week in, week out. So you could, I'm sure, hold a legacy GP in Seattle and get like 1,500 people easily. But um I, I don't know. I can't I can't really speculate what what Channel Fireballs, you know, priorities are. Maybe they decided it wasn't selling enough cards. I, I really have no idea, but I think it's it's clearly not like a pure numbers thing. I think there's something else something else going on there. Yeah, I mean there I found the exact uh thing. It was Ben representing Magic Esports. So it's not CFB deciding. I guess either CFB and Watsi or a combination of both or just Watsi where um you know ben goes to say legacy why has a strong following those who play it has the lowest play numbers of any of those formats uh those formats being standard modern pioneer and limited and yes there are a variety of reasons for legacy's lower play numbers including card and play opportunity availability but we have to look at what numbers are not what they could be and i I said people were number crunching this and one guy's like for reference i included the most recent gp attendance numbers and you can see the most recent Legacy GP had greater attendance than the last three standard GPs combined, and more than the last modern GP. Um, Elliot, do you have any sweet hot takes or anything on this subject? Yeah, I think the you know Tangram sort of glazed over this maybe is the fact that when there is a Legacy Grand Prix, 
everybody who loves playing legacy flies from every corner of the earth to go there because it, it turns out there's a correlation between owning four underground seas and being able to to take a week off work and fly across the world to play a grand prix i i, I saw the same chart that you refer to where it, like the, someone took or a similar chart maybe where someone took the last five grand prix of each of the formats and took the average players and legacy was higher than the others by a few hundred and they they took this as some sort of like oh look legacy's <laughs> the best format for grand prix maybe every format every grand prix should be legacy <laughs> but but the case is when you have one to two a year all of the big wigs who can afford their legacy deck are going to make a make an event out of it and and pilgrim do a pilgrimage to <laughs> niagara falls on easter weekend because it's the one shot they got, right? I, I I wouldn't be shocked if you did, and like if you actually looked at the the people who re- like the actual DCI numbers of the people who registered for the last five uh, Legacy Gra- uh, Grand Prix versus last five of every other format, that the other formats are going to blow Legacy out of the water. It's something like like twelve hundred ish players average for a Legacy Grand Prix, and I think there's got to be like maybe 50% of them are unique over the last five Grand Prix, like 3,000 total players played the five events. And, and when you compare that to standard where I know we were joking about, oh, I'm you know, Mr. Worldwide traveling six hours for a Grand Prix, but I think that's what the large majority of people who play standard, modern, and limited Grand Prix are. It's the people who can drive a reasonable distance, get to play two or three Grand Prix a year tops, maybe only one or two if they're, uh, depending on where they are geographically, and they go to the ones that are convenient instead of flying across the country. And I, I think that, yeah, it's unfortunate that in the first half of, of uh, 2020, there's no commitment from CFB to cater to what, you know, still is a large group of players, you know, having a turnout of 12, 1500 players, not small, uh, but is it the end of the world and CFB like stiffing the community? No, because there's other opportunities to play legacy still. There's some great, uh, legacy and vintage tournaments that are held like the eternal weekends in, in Europe and North America. And the fact that CFB events doesn't want to, or hasn't yet decided to hold a limited or sorry, a legacy Grand Prix is I think not indicative of anything. And you're right. If this person actually used, let's say the last five standard, that's not fair. <laughs> that standard GPs to compare it to like the last five uh, legacy GPs that were hold uh, across like the, the last few years, um, because we as we know the attendance for for standard and even GPs in general in the in the past couple of months have have decreased. So I, that wouldn't be fair numbers to compare to each other if if that's what he used. Um, I also think like five legacy GPs ago is like 2014. Yeah, <laughs> and in like in like 2015 there were like 3,000 player modern grand prix every single every single one of them capped at 3,000. So, I, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily <laughs> fair to compare the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree with that. But think about what you said. Oh, I guess I don't really know what their goal is with the with the GP circuit because, like, uh, hearing you, it seems like it would be just, like, the easy best play to have, like, at least one or two max a year just to have those max numbers and, and to have um, – because it, it builds the brand when you have even just one event with a lot of players that you can – take photos of have like a lot of social media brand awareness around just magic the gathering people paying attention so 
Um, I guess that they're fine with with other people doing this for them, whether it be Eternal Weekend against all these third party options, like you said. There's there's different avenues to still get your uh, legacy internal fix. So I wonder if it's that. I wonder if it's that. Um, go ahead. I mean, it's not like the other GPs of any format are really getting that attention right now, right? It's all kind of all the um, all just the pro tours. I saw something interesting on Twitter. They were talking about how not even the the regional pro tours like in this next month are getting any attention it's all just the the world championship they like they're kind of um talking all about the world championship all about the world championship but the the gps and the pro tours it feels like have been left totally behind that's just like not part of their vision to promote those events anymore i wonder i mean i wonder why They're like it's up to you, CFB type thing. I like I don't I don't know um, why they would want to do that, but um, and player store. I want to be excited for it, man. Elliot's gonna grind in. Someone has to cover that story, and someone has to cover that story when Andy Awkward takes it all down. So <laughs> no, I'm totally yeah. with you. I think from a like the just sort of normal everyday tournament player perspective. Like those people care a lot more about the Grand Prix and the regional pro tours. Cause those are like attainable goals. You know, if you're like, you know, playing, you know, PTQs at your LGS or whatever, that's like where you want to be. Right. You want to see yourself up on the, the Grand Prix stage, the pro tour stage, right. You're like, not really, you know, aspiring to be like a world championship competitor, right. Like, you know, maybe like a pipe dream five years down the road. Right. But that's like not, what you're shooting for, right? Your kind of immediate goal is those, those Grand Prix and those Pro Tours and the, the coverage of those really kind of facilitate that goal, right? Yeah. Just don't tell John that. He's already like really, really old. So five years down the road, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's post, post his career. <laughs> um, but uh, one, one neat thing, like, like on talking about like promoting the World Championship, one neat thing that people thought was kind of sweet is, is like you said, how – how they've decided to not only feature it more in different ways, but come up with different ways to promote. Like people were talking about how they like the picture champion thing that they're they're promoting, which I've actually seen in in other games. Like when I was playing Shadowverse and they were hosting the World Championship, if you picked the right one, and I didn't even know who these people are, so I just picked the guy at random. Um, you would get uh, booster packs or or free something if you were right, and less if you were wrong. And they're doing that for this, but I think it's even if it's borrowed from another game, it's a great idea. Um, I don't know if you guys made your choice already, but uh, I went with Javier Dominguez just because I think I think he's the best player in the world right now. Um, and if not, he's probably up there, like at least in the top three. Uh, what about you guys? Have you guys made a choice? Well, my uh, my head says to pick Javier, but. <laughs> When I realize that it is an arena tournament, there is that Mengu luck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I have considered uh, Andrea Mengucci. Well, a very, very talented player. He seems to uh, shine on the, the most glittery of stages. <laughs> hey, he has been doing really, really well. No, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's very good. Just also very good at winning the tournaments that matter the most money-wise. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. Um, what, what about you, Elliot? I don't know if you have I actually just locked in my choice of Piotr Goglowski. He's, he's, 
he's running hot. He won the last one, last arena tournament. Yeah. And yeah. also he I mean he has another top four or finals even after that. So I mean, like he's he's gotta be the guy on arena, even if Mangu won the invitational. And I don't know how how much does Dave follow this stuff? <laughs> no, I, I follow it pretty closely. Um and yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a great idea. When I followed Hearthstone, that was like a thing that kept me really engaged was picking the they would do that. You you picked your like you know, competitor and won some won some packs or whatever. Uh I picked Canister. I've been following his stream for like three years now since he was just like streaming lantern control and no one knew who he was. So ride or die going with him. I love it. I also want uh I wonder if they do it like before a certain matchup show like how many people like voted for that guy or uh that person. So that'd be kinda cool. That'd be kinda sweet. Um one thing, one of the tweets uh, were basically like from the Magic Esports Twitter, claiming that uh, there were going to be dra- there was going to be draft this World Championship, and that full details uh, would be released on February third. We'll be announcing our viewers' guy February third. Get hyped for draft and standard in Hawaii, and the World Championship is just a week right after. So I wonder if like the people participating already knew that, or if it was again typical Magic Esports to announce news at the very last minute. Uh, your thoughts on that, Elliot? <laughs> uh, well, first off, it wouldn't surprise me if they knew beforehand. Uh, second off, I think it's not the end of the world if they didn't know because um, it was it was pretty clear that standard would be would be the format one of the formats at the very least going into it because it was being held on arena and all of the players qualified are going to be preparing for limited and draft anyway, because of the the players tour. So I I think it's, you know, if they somehow didn't know beforehand, not that big of a deal that they learned now because they've probably already been preparing and now just can keep doing so. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do it, whether or not this is the first we see of eight person drafts on arena or whether it's just like drafted in paper, then they build the decks on arena. I'm not exactly sure, but it's always, it's always a treat to see some of the best of like, not even some of the best, just the actual best players in the world drafting, which is the case here at worlds. And that's a good point because they, they're not revealing details until the full viewers guide. So people are speculating, is it going to be a real draft bot draft, or like you said, a paper draft, they're going to build the decks online. Someone, Tweeted using the eight-person beta-tested draft system at Worlds. Nice, um, saying that it'll probably lead to possibly a bug ruining some some matches, uh, which has been the case for the past like couple of arena championships. People who have complained about that uh, ruining uh, specific rounds and not being able to to replay uh, certain games because a, a bug happened. So I am curious. So it wouldn't surprise you, Elliot, if it was like. They did a paper draft, and they somehow had someone make all the decks and and have them play using those. I think it's definitely an option, and uh, considering the fact that having something that's not released, maybe not even incredibly thoroughly beta tested, being meaning the the eight player arena drafts, it's it's probably one of the ways to get it done. It's not. It's it can't take that long to build to like register people's draft decks. It's only forty-five cards. <laughs> yeah, so I'm—I I'm, didn't even think about that. So I'm curious to see that. The other 
I don't know if you guys had a chance to, to read the the read through some of the answers on the Reddit. I think the other thing that I really wanted to to know was um, how they would respond to someone talking questioning their the stability, how you know last minute they always are, and and how people aren't really sure what's going on. And um, you know, once again, Ben uh, basically said like 2019 was. A year of change and, and and in 2020 their aims to keep things stable and, and let people play um yeah the, so i think the passage that i wanted to read out was how the old system was limiting our ability to create opportunities to play and we felt that making all the changes at once was the best way to transition to a new structure that will let us scale up and better meet the demands of our competitive players um yeah, I don't know if you guys have any takes on on whether you felt uh, that that makes any sense. I, I think about the quote, like things have to get worse before they get better, <laughs> and uh, maybe that's that's the model they're they're following. That they had to, um, like when I had a conversation with John about the the GP player points, I'm like, man, maybe they they should have tabled it for next year. But John's like, well, if they thought it was the the right thing to do. Possibly they really wanted to do it right away, and 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 he said he'd rather them do it right away than not. So, but for my reaction to this response is that hopefully uh, we do see a more stable approach going in 2020, or or announcement that don't seem like they're last minute um, to me, and um, that that gives me a bit of positive hope. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I'll, uh, I guess I'll believe it. Like when I see it, we'll see, uh, what they do going forward. I think they're, I hope their heart is in the right place. Their, uh, actual decision they made was not a terrible decision. It was just the timing of it. That was so horrific. And, uh, they saw the reaction from that. So hopefully going forward, it'll be like similar good decision-making with, uh, maybe some more tact to it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, and I'm not sure if they they answered our friend Daniel Daniel Fournier, who really wanted something that um, I haven't had a chance to read. If they had, like last I checked, they didn't respond to him, uh, which is him requesting if there was like a system that is more catered to, to a player like him, not something that's like as crazy and 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 hard to attain as Rivals and and MPL, uh, but something. You know, like like uh, like a goal replacement. Um, Isn't that sort of the fractional invite system? I guess. I guess. I mean, maybe, maybe. I don't know what the general opinion of people of um, like so, fractional inv- invites seem to be sort of like silver plus or like a gold minus. So maybe that's like a fair enough system for people like. Uh, Daddy Daniel. Yeah, I, I'd have to ask him what what if he felt that it replaced. It felt like Shaheen when he was on a show. He was really positive about the the fractional invites. I might be wrong, but but you're right that that does fill in some of the gaps. I don't know if it was enough for for him. Um, I think kind of the bigger problem, right, is that the these events just don't feel that like special anymore. At least to me, like these kind of. Um, regional player stores there's no travel award there's no like guaranteed um min cash like there there used to be so you're kind of 
I mean, it's like a pretty, pretty stacked tournament and you get to do the like split format thing, which is cool. But at the end of the day, you have to like pay your own way to get there and you have no guarantee of any prize. I don't know. For, for me, that really like took a lot of the whole kind of cachet, like the whole kind of, wow, this is such a, such a special event. It just feels like kind of like a, like a stacked grand period at this point. And I'm like, not really enthusiastic to qualify for that. I don't know if, if Elliot and Andy feel the same way, but that really kind of took out a lot of the enthusiasm for me. You're talking about specifically the player store? The the regional player, player stores, store. like the one in the one in Phoenix in two weeks. Go ahead, Andy. Well when I when I qualified I certainly didn't feel any worse. <laughs> uh I think I do understand what you're saying, having played both systems, like especially because I played the last Pro Tour under the old system and I'll be playing the first one under this system. And they're definitely different. And like going forward, so this time I'm taking like the week off to test for the Pro Tour, and I'm not sure that I will do that again if I qualify because of the no minimum prize payout and uh it's just a huge time commitment and I'm not sure how much I'm gaining. But uh I think that part of it sort of changed, but I think, uh, I don't know. It all still matters quite a bit to me. And I, but I do understand why some people would, uh, feel otherwise. Elliot, did you want to chime in? Uh, well, the one, the one person I did qualify for was in the far off land of Cleveland, Ohio during the winter. <laughs> uh, and I would have, I would have loved to have, to have gone to Barcelona or London instead, which were the two, the two surrounding the one I qualified for. But I mean, the fact that, you know, had I qualified, I would be going to Phoenix instead of some uh, like European or, or more tropical location, let's say is, is not a deal breaker for me. I, I'm, off the top of my head, I don't know where the next uh, North American Regional Pro Tour is if they've announced it. Uh, but the fact, the destination doesn't have that much bearing for me. And like Andy said, in terms of taking time off work, I'm I'm lucky to be in a position where I can do that, you know, sort of more freely. Um, but at the same time, if people are max going to be changing like two or three time zones, it's not as much of a requirement versus if I was instead you know, if I had to play a pro tour in Japan, I, I, you have to take a bunch of time off. Otherwise, you're just going to be be killed by jet lag, right? So the fact that they're more local is, I think, going to slowly do away with week-long testing houses leading up to the, the players' tours. Um, I, I finally I found the, the article I was looking for right now, the Players' Tour Series 1 player points. And it starts off by saying the first player stores are nearly upon us. And we've got details for the nearly a thousand players who are qualified to play in Nagoya, Brussels, or Phoenix. Uh, Andy, like, is that, does that mean, do you think it's like a thousand total or they're going to be like roughly a thousand in each? Uh, I don't know. I don't have the, I have no clue. <laughs> my, like my Only a thousand? It's going awesome. to be a thousand total split. split across yeah, that's, okay. that makes more sense. It'll. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because like the Pro Tour used to be like 500 players and now there's like sort of three of them and a total of a thousand would kind of make sense because more people qualify. Okay. And I'm looking at the quickly at the price structure, the one you're going at, 35K up top, uh, 750 for finishing one-tenth or higher. And uh, so are, like it's safe to assume that we're projecting roughly – 300 to 400 each of these basically yeah yeah around that and uh an important note is that five three is the cut to day two again 
it's not four four anymore. Also, okay, and I guess they were like these prize pools were, and, and these um, the people that are going the number of places the places they've decided to award cash. I think it's due to their, I guess, projected attendance. Has yes. to be um, so Asia with the lowest one. That's the one Alex is flying to. Uh, top 50, top 110. Yeah, but there's like different, as far as my understanding, I don't exactly remember why, but as far as I remember, uh, Nagoya had the highest EV for like qualifying for the player tour finals. It's because it's, it's one less round and you need one less win as well. If I recall, it's something like 10 4 versus 11 4, roughly. Maybe maybe eleven four versus twelve four, whatever, something like that. One less round to play. Yeah, but why would to bring back to clarify? Why would like the lack of of a min cash or whatever make make it less good? I'm trying to because like so like you go to this tournament that you've paid probably like five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars to attend. And the fact that if you don't do well, you just lose a bunch of money. It just reminds you how you feel when you go to a Grand Prix and don't do well, right? <laughs> but you is it different from previous? You lose a bunch of money. But yeah, is... it was minimum of five hundred dollars. Okay, okay. It was a five hundred dollar minimum for like one year, and only half of them were like two of the the Mythic Championships were the super sweet deal of five hundred dollar min prize as well as Wizard of the Coast providing airfare, and I I think that uh the way they've been like pressuring, I don't want to say pressuring, I guess, but the way they've been formatting PTQs and WPNQs, it seems more and more it's requiring stores to be putting uh, either completely paid travel kind of deal or, or some sort of travel uh, reward or, or bursary, I guess. I don't know. Um, so it's sort of shifting that money that was originally in the airfare that got shifted to a minimum prize of the pro tour is now going back to airfare and travel reward. So I, I think that obviously there's going to be some people like some people in the old system for sure, uh, didn't get paid air travel and there was no minimum, minimum cash or no last place cash for some of them. There was paid air travel and minimum cash. That was a sweet deal. A- and then the reverse where people paid out of pocket, they won 500 USD, which is maybe a net negative depending where they were coming from. And I think we're just going back to, to the original where you have paid air for, airfare or mostly paid airfare, depending on how you split it, split the finals, then it's sort of on you. And it, it might feel worse the weekend of, but I, I don't think your EV is necessarily dropped drastically by any means. I guess my complaint is from the, the Magic Online PTQs, which used to have a $1,500, like, essentially travel reward. They just, like, got rid of that and didn't replace it. So that's kind of both, like, a slap in the face to me, and it feels like a little, like, hypocritical of Wizards, like, to say, like, oh, these, like, paper tournament organizers need to, you know, put up a travel re- award. But then, like, for their own online PDQs that they're hosting themselves, they don't have a travel award. So it's like, it's like they're not, like, following their own advice, and that's Kind of frustrating. When you win a Moto PTQ, you do get like $500 worth of stuff though, right? <laughs> I can um, confirm. I haven't, I haven't checked. It's, it was like, maybe not 500 It was like some money. A lot of that's like play points, so it's like you can't... Well, you get like a bunch of uh, 
packs and a bunch of uh, a foil set was worth a bunch. You do, yeah. I I haven't run the numbers. Maybe that. If I recall, I sold everything that I got for winning the PTQ for almost six hundred dollars. Okay. If it's that much, then that's that's fine. (laughs) That that doesn't really. So all all I remember is there was a time where they they literally just cut the the fifteen hundred and didn't add any other prizes. So that like that like felt frustrating. But maybe maybe they've added more prizes since then. There's a a limited PTQ on Friday. And the first place is an invite to the players tour, one complete foil set, and 108 booster packs. And I I think booster packs are worth roughly two ticks on average. I don't know what they are worth right now, but let's say in the grand scheme of things, two tickets and a foil set's worth a few hundred. So I think they're like 3.2 right now packs. That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's fine then. That's probably that's probably like 600 bucks. If it's that much, I I take it back. That's going to get you anywhere in North America. Oh, not from Canada, my friend. <laughs> 600, 600 USD is not enough to fly anywhere. So, Tangons, when's your next tournament? When's your next uh, PTQ? What's my next my next PTQ? I have no idea. Um, probably play a couple online ones. There's GP Seattle in, um, in June. They just announced the format. It's team limited. That's like almost assuredly my worst format. So, probably playing PTQs there. But... Um, Maybe if you're a listener to the podcast and you're you're sick at limited, you want to carry me to the pro tour. Um, hit me up on Twitter at Tangrams. We, <laughs> we can form a squad. <laughs> All right, well, we'll finish the show. Uh, John John is at uh, GP New Jersey, trying to up his traveling across the tr- country to try to up his limited skills at Theros Beyond Death. Um, Andy, any any early lessons that you've picked up? Um, <laughs> there's, there's a, there's quite a bit going on in the, in the set. Uh, like, uh, I guess one of the easiest lessons is that like revoke existence and some extremely powerful green, uh, destroy artifact or enchantment spell is, uh, is actually very good. Like the destroy enchantments are, are just very good spells. So like you can main deck them. There's a lot of good enchantment creatures out there. All the uncommons out there are like super bomby enchantments in uh, every color. And so that kind of stuff you can definitely main deck. I guess that's the best advice. Like there's some good aggro decks, I think, right now. And there's actually uh, there's a really good uh, limited streamer, Ham TV, who's uh, been doing a lot of great work uh, streaming the format and teaching teaching me so many things I wouldn't have thought of, like, casting the card rapid flames on your own like heroic creatures that buff your team to just pump your team three times i it just would not have come up to me i am too small brain to think of that <laughs> and uh, on his stream he won a bunch doing that and uh it was it's impressive to see someone much smarter than i think of these things and then i get to benefit off of it anyway Okay, Elliot, can you, what what about you? Have you been prepping at all for this tournament you're, that you're traveling five plus hours to? Yeah, I have. I've been playing a bit. Um, I, I'd say the things that stick out for me the most is that it's it's actually fairly easy to splash a color, and there's quite a few bomby cards that make it sometimes worth splashing uh, in in draft in particular. Um, like I, I guess sealed as well, obviously, but even in, even in draft, it's possible when the format's a bit more low to the ground. And I I think you should not be surprised if if some percentage of your drafts end up monocolored, which is something that we've we've sort of being a shift seen a shift towards. 
in these limited formats where a few years ago it was, it was a train wreck if you were monocolored. Obviously, this devotion sets rewards it pretty well. I'm ready. I think we'll call it a show. Good luck to John and, and yourself at the GP. And Andy, are you playing anything this weekend? Yeah, I'm playing the GP. Thank you. <laughs> I can't, I can't. The emphasis. Come on. <laughs> the emphasis of Andy, of Elliot traveling down made me completely forget. Um, what about you, Dave? Yeah, this weekend there's the like Magic Online showcase tournaments, they call them. They're sort of like kind of like the old mox tournaments but they're um just like format they have one for each format and they kind of qualify to you for this bigger thing so i'll be playing modern and i might play legacy i don't know this deck is this deck is really hard i just like cast my cards in the wrong order and like died on the spot so might not play legacy might just play modern but um and you'll stick to your deck for modern And I'm playing. I'm playing the Titan deck in Modern. It's um, it's sick. It's the best deck. You should play it if you want a list. DM me on Twitter. I will get that to you. Sick, sick. At Tangrams. Um, oh, you got to play Pioneer too. Yeah. Pioneer. I have to wake up at six a.m. So that's that's. Too oh hard. my god! What are you gonna do with all those QPs? You have to. You have to win to to get QPs. So. <laughs> I actually joined a limited PTQ and dropped immediately just to collect my six opened booster packs. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully someday I can I can win as much as, as Andy Awkward and have, <laughs> have that many QPs in my account. Um, actually, but- I don't think Andy Awkward wins that much. I've seen him in like one <laughs> challenge top eight, but that. Like that Andy Peters guy was a killer. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. a moto legend. But what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> Dave, like I, I am curious, like I hope you get to play Pioneer soon. Just to just to get uh once you get a few games of like let's say the Nivmizza deck under your belt would be nice to hear um your first hand experience of that of that archetype. Yeah, yeah I played it. I man. no I played it. I couldn't I couldn't win with it, but um Oh, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I don't know. This again, this deck is very controversial, so I can I can totally believe that Andy Nelly. Well. I think enough people have been winning that it, it seems like a totally fine choice, but not for everyone. It'd be funny if no one could win with it but Andy. So Andy, how did you <laughs> no one can win with this deck? What is the secret sauce? Yo, I used to play Bring to Light Scape Shift, so you get like this intimate relationship with your Bring to Lights. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. I've played the card Bring to Light probably too much, and it knows, and it recognizes that. It, I was there for it when it wasn't good, so it's there for me when I'm not good. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And, uh, yeah, next week's going to be a sweet episode because we're going to get John, Andy, Elliot talk about Hopefully, like, uh, you know, John's 93. He's told me, he messaged me. He actually messaged us in the first strike chat. 93% to win the tournament. Pretty high. Pretty high. That's not 100, but uh, looking forward to to one of you taking down. Hopefully, like, you guys can make up part of, like, the 7%, right, to, to get close to 100. Then we're going to get at least, you know, one of you guys are going to win. Get a sweat going, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If he's 93... Elliot, you're you're at worst, you know, five percent, right? Like to win this thing. Oh, so. oh, thank God you said five percent. 
I thought you, you could have gotten way lower. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good luck, guys. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.